Okay, guys, we have a show. Over to me. Over to you, Joe. Everybody ready? Yes. Yep. And now here's Joe. Welcome to Midcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Hello everyone, I'm Joe. I'm neither arrested nor Bert. Now a permanent Linux user, Nishant. And coming to you live on my new system, this is Bill. And the return of Moss. This is episode 378, recorded on Sunday the 9th of January. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us an email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. First up in the news, Mint 20.3 Una is released. Pipewire has a new release. Solus co-lead resigns. And more. In security, Linux kernel updates fix vulnerabilities. Ryzen mobile CPUs and Pluton security. Then in our wanderings, I talk about the HBR New Year's show. Norbert watched a new series. Bill has been on the grind with cold temperatures. Nishant did a build of Serenity OS. And Moss is back. And in the news, Moss. Mint 20.3 Una is out. Mint 20.3 introduces a brand new X app called Thingy, which is a document manager. It gives you quick access to your favorite and recently opened documents and keeps track of your reading progress. Mint 20.3 features an updated look and feel with larger title bar options, rounded corners, a cleaner theme, and support for dark mode. The title bars were previously quite small, so they made them rounder with bigger buttons to make the desktop look more pleasant and generous. The hover zone around the icons was also widened to make it easier to press the buttons. Accent colors and feature colors were removed on some of the widgets, and the base color was changed to a brighter shade of gray in order to make the default Mint Y theme more pleasant. Mint 20.3 also features full dark mode support and takes advantage of this to give the terminal and multimedia apps a distinctive look. Applications that ship with dark mode by default, Celluloid, Hypnotics, XViewer, Pix, and Gnome Terminal. Pipewire 0.3.43 is released with many fixes. From Pharonix, this release includes fixes and other compatibility improvements, particularly around the Jack Also Pulse Audio handling. Some of the changes include Flatpak apps can now remove links again. Many fixes to the Pulse Audio server code, including lower memory usage and possible crash fixes. Quantum and rate changes are now applied immediately when the driver is idle. The ALSA code now allows multi-rate handling by default. The ALSA code also has improved latency for USB devices. Pulse Audio server code should improve handling of more than 32 audio channels. I wonder how long we'll be in this uh, transition phase where if you have to replace Pulse Audio with Pipewire, you have to start a Pulse Audio server via Pipewire. So it's essentially a drop-in replacement because every application is still expecting you to have a Pulse Audio server. So that's what Pipewire provides. It's kind of a workaround. 
Solus Linux co-lead resigns, joins Serpent OS, and plans to fork Budgie under a new organization. From its FOSS, four years ago, the creator of the Solus distribution, Ike Doherty, left and handed over the project to other developers due to some personal reasons. Recently, on January 1st, 2022, Joshua Strobel, the main developer of Budgie and the co-lead of Solus, announced that he was leaving the Solus project. Here is what he mentions in his announcement, quote, To summarize why I am resigning from Solus, I have attempted to raise a wide range of issues which affect the ability to contribute to Solus, both for myself and others in the community. I want to be clear, I haven't been a perfect leader, like at all. It has been a learning experience like everything else, and over the last couple of years I've genuinely tried to be more open to feedback, proposals, change, and so on. Sometimes I have been impatient. Sometimes I didn't take feedback to heart. I am only human. End quote. Joshua also announced that he's joining Ike to work on Serpent OS. He will continue working on the Budgie desktop, which he forked to form a new organization called Buddies of Budgie, inviting Ubuntu Budgie, Endeavor OS, and other developers to be the partners. The development for the Budgie 10 series will continue, and you should also expect the EFL-based Budgie 11 in the future. He uh, opened a discussion on the new GitHub page titled Make Budget and Fly Again. And uh, I took the opportunity to write him my suggestion, which uh, is a feature I've been missing from Budgie, is the ability to set the color of the of the panel independent from the theme. Because I think I've been using an XFC where I can just override the, the panel color with a pitch black the way I like it. it has a weird, uh, very transparent color on Budgie. So I've been trying out Budgie on my desktop, but uh, the this little detail that the panel is, it's a weird color, but uh, this theme has the same with GNOME. So if anyone is using Budgie 10, uh, which will, will apparently still be maintained, uh, feel free to go to the GitHub and uh, put in your suggestions. I think it's kind of funny that he uh, moved over to the Serpent OS project when Ike really dumped the project, not in his lap, but just dumped it. And he was the one that ran in and picked it up and had to get all the details worked out. So for him to then embrace Ike at this point, he must have done some serious forgiveness. Yeah, well, we don't know if he was ever mad at Ike for leaving. I mean, it is, you know, a high stress position and Ike had other things going on. And I, I don't think that's the first time he's done that either. Just leaving Ike, not not uh, Joshua. But um, he did do it for four years. Maybe, yeah, he did do for four years on Solus. So if he wants something new and that involves jumping over where he's not in charge, then, you know, by all means, let the guy do it. But then why does he say that he's not a perfect leader? Well, we don't know what has been going on in the project, you know, what isn't working, what is working, and how much of it he blames on his leadership. Yeah, nobody's a perfect leader, and you're going to make mistakes, and, and they wait on him after a while. He wanted to do something else. But then why leave an organization? That's weird, isn't it? Not really. No. When when you're where you're hitting your head against the brick wall all the time, you decide to go around the wall. Oh, okay. Maybe it's just my perception uh, being uh, only four years into the corporate world. Well, especially in like the corporate world. I mean, five years at a position is a long time. Yeah. Especially nowadays. You know, it's not like in the 70s and well, earlier 
where people did one job their whole life. Now, five years is a really, really long time in one position, especially for someone your age. I'm still a support engineer at this point of time. Yeah, but are you in the same job that you have, that you're going to have two years, three years, four years from now? Not the same position, the same job. No, I want to go into like development, like I have told you before. Maybe make a switch, but let's see. But as a person who's in like four years in the same position, I really find it weird to leave a company just because you're not leading it properly. My take on leadership. Well, he didn't say he wasn't leading it properly. He said he wasn't a perfect leader. And that's splitting hairs there. But I tried to keep the quotes uh, short. So I trimmed out some parts that people can, uh, you can read the full quotes uh, in the article or the original sources. He did mention that uh, he had uh, reported or signaled about some uh, bugs that he, so there were some bugs that he reported to the other developers. And for months, it nothing was done about them. Uh, I'm not following Solo's development at all, so I cannot say how, what exactly was going on, but he did mention something like this. KDE gets a 2022 roadmap, Plasma Wayland to shine updated breeze icons. From Veronix, KDE developer Nate Graham has published the 2022 roadmap for what he sees as the major undertakings this year for the desktop environment. His KDE 2021 roadmap was successful around better fingerprint support, improved plasma wayland session, a kickoff replacement, reflowing text in console, and more all panned out. The new 2022 roadmap includes the wayland session can completely replace the X11 session. There have been countless bug fixes to the KDE plasma wayland session in recent times, and other work to bring up the KDE wayland support. Plus, there is now NVIDIA support via the GBM path. Overhauling the Breeze icon set, improving multi-monitor support, inertial touchpad scrolling with, within Qt Quick software, and the 15-minute bug initiative being started by Nate Graham. He's hoping to fix many small bugs and paper cuts. This class of bugs would be small issues easily encountered by users within roughly 15 minutes of basic usage of the desktop. So I see a great potential for Plasma going forward with the Wayland. Plasma is one of my favorite desktop environments apart from GNOME. So I have used Plasma and definitely it's going in the right direction so far. It's interesting. I kind of like Plasma, but I don't really like the the K applications. For example, their partition manager, I always just end up going back to Gparted and the GNOME disks. That's perfectly fine, Norbert. Even I go back to Gparted most of the time. I think Gparted just has so much more of the mind share that Partition Manager doesn't get the right amount of development, I think. And it's a little harder. It's a little bit more nebulous to use, but it, it does the same things. It's just in a different way, and some of it's not quite as easy to understand. As far as the Wayland... I was going to say, as far as the Wayland thing goes, I was using Plasma quite happily on, on Wayland until I started doing podcasting, and then I had to give it up for OBS Studio. So OBS is is a obstinate holdout for some reason for getting their stuff working on Wayland. Well, I, I've, on been using, I've been on using NVIDIA. Plasma. Oh, or Go ahead. <laughs> I've been using Plasma since 2002 before it was Plasma. And it was nice in versions two and three. 
I stopped using it for version four, and I never went back to Plasma until Pla- until five was very well developed. Have you tried the twenty fifth anniversary Plasma? I I don't usually go to Plasma these days. I'm happy with Mate, and if I want something that really works nicely, I load Bodhi and use Moksha. More on that later. I have used Plasma twenty fifth anniversary, and it was like smooth experience for me. Would love to go back to Plasma someday. They've got it down. Plasma's got a way, and I don't really understand the mechanics of it, but it's got a way of scaling itself to work with the hardware that it's installed on. Well, in some cases, it's really hard to find the switches and where to move things. Maybe if you've been using it for a while, you can, but uh, every time I go back to it, I find something else I have to learn that is easy to do in Mate. I think their defaults needs whoever makes the, the decisions in that project as to the defaults. And this is nothing new. They, some of their choices are a little, I don't know. They're, they're not quite what most people would choose to do, but, and yeah, for a new user, it's a bit daunting to go into the system settings, the system settings, which they should revamp. I think, I think what they should do is have a simple mode and an expert mode. Like for example, how a lot of uh, BIOS settings menus do, uh, and the default should be the simple mode that is more similar to like the GNOME settings where they don't have many options. And there should be a toggle laptop where you can switch to the expert mode, which is more like the current one. So everyone would be happy. People who want a simple solution and people who want to have uh, advanced controls. I think, I think they could start by just, I think most people install a system. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people install a system and they, if it's set up right out of the box, they leave it as is. And if it's not, it gets judged based on that. You know, if I got to go in right away and change a bunch of stuff just because it's just obtuse from the beginning, then, you know, that's that can uh, stir up like a bad attitude towards the distro in general. What is the best beginner-friendly distro that uses Plasma, in your opinion? Farron OS. Farron's got a good implementation. I think... You know, Kubuntu, when when Mint was doing it, they were doing it really well. Kubuntu at least goes in and changes the theme to be something a little bit less bright and off-putting, and then they turn off that stupid single-click thing that uh, is on by default. That's probably, like, the number one thing for most people is that single-click. If you line up 100 people, you might get two or three that prefer that, but for some reason they just refuse to believe that people don't like that. I'm a single clicker. I have been from the beginning. It's just a matter of what you get used to. Enlightenment 0.25 desktop environment release from 9to5 Linux. The new version introduces a flat look to match the new flat theme, a new gesture recognition bindings for touchpads, fingerprint support in desk lock via the, via the LibF print library, a new tool to configure fingerprints, a new binding action that lets users switch profiles, and a palette editor and selector tool to help you set up custom colors. Among other noteworthy changes, Enlightenment 0.25 comes with XDG current desktop set by default, more consistent fonts across EFL and non-EFL apps, as well as various under-the-hood performance improvements to reduce power usage and make Enlightenment faster. Let me state that there is a beta of Bodhi out now using E25 if you'd like to try it out on a nice, pretty, easy system. Is there an official Enlightenment uh, flavor of Bodhi? It's a, it's official Enlightenment E25 with modifications to make it run all the Bodhi apps. Okay, so I tried Bodhi Linux and it's totally green. 
and I really enjoyed it. It's very green. It's really green. I love green. I'm a green guy, you know. It's a dark green, though. I liked it, too. Well, you can always change it. If you get the app pack version, there are dozens of themes, and those themes change the background, they change the icons, they change everything, and they have some beautiful ones. But anyhow, like I say, there, there, is, there is the new beta. Enlightenment itself, uh, looking at the screenshot from this release, was the second time I was really impressed by, uh, be impressed by Enlightenment. Because the first time I tried it, it felt very weird, it felt kind of niche. But the second time I tried it, I got more of an impression of it being very unique. But I was a bit unsure about uh, going back to the budget desktop uh, topic, about uh, budget 11 being based on EFL. But looking at the new themes, and not just this new flat theme for Enlightenment, even the previous version, how it looked, I have a very good feeling about budget being based on EFL. And if the more desktops are based on EFL, the more support it will get. Well, it's very simple. There are only three libraries out there that you can make a desktop on without making your own from scratch. You've got the Qt framework, you've got the GTK framework, and you've got EFL. And everyone's been ignoring EFL until GNOME started really messing with the GTK. Well, I have been using Enlightenment E17 back in, I think, 2012 with uh, MacPup, which was a version of Puppy Linux. And uh, I loved it. And they came out with 5.20. They came out with 5.25. And then they didn't make any more. And I was looking around. I could not get Bodhi 3 to work. I tried again with Bodhi 4, could not get it to work. And then with Bodhi 5, I've been copacetic ever since. And I am now have to disclose I am currently considered to be on the Bodhi team. Really? Congratulations, Moss. I haven't done much, but I, I've been managing the, the Discord group and I've been pushing out things and I helped fi find them another mirror and I do donate to them. Yeah, so you've been doing some bodybuilding, haven't you? That's Joe's job. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, joke, yes. Ah, Bodybuilding, ah, love it. Ah. But all in all, I have a newfound interest in both body and uh, and enlightenment. So this will be an interesting year. Although, reflecting a bit back on the plasma news, if I'm not able to run a full Wayland session on my NVIDIA desktop by the end of the year, I will be a bit disappointed, mainly in the NVIDIA developers. No, they can do it, man. They could have done it a long time ago, I think. And also, I'm pretty sure that NVIDIA doesn't have to open source the drivers to make it no. work properly. They just have to put in the effort. Yeah. But you're dealing with a niche of a niche there, you know, because Linux already by itself is such a niche to everybody. Well, let's talk about a different niche. Steam on Linux ended 2021 at 1.11% market share. From Pharonix... This summer, Steam on Linux recrossed the 1.0% threshold after being under 1.0% for years. In November, Steam on Linux hit 1.16% as a recent multi-year high for the operating system. In December, it dipped by 0.05% down to 1.11. Meanwhile, year over year for December 2020, Steam on Linux was around a 0.57 market share for December 2019. No, for 2020, and I'm reading this wrong. <clears throat> Meanwhile, year over year for December 2020, Steam on Linux was around a 0.57 market share, and for December 2019 was at 0.67%. It will be interesting to see how Steam on Linux market share as a percentage plays out over the course of 2022 with the Steam Deck units beginning to ship, they think. I'm excited about this development. If gaming ever works on Linux properly... 
Switching over to Linux, no holds barred. I want them to ship in February so I can have mine, but I don't want them to ship so that I can make my prediction. <laughs> so there you go. I kind of want them to ship, but I want a large percentage of them to be, you know, broken quickly so I can purchase them at a lower price and fix them. Oh, God. So you can buy them used? <laughs> Joe, you are the lawful evil yes. person in the room. <laughs> yes, um, I can agree with that. And yes, I do catch D&D references. Thank you. D&D? Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. The neutrality system or, or the alignment system. Drag and drop. <laughs> yeah, drag and drop. That's what it is. Okay. There so you Arch go. Linux. Yeah, Nishant just rolled a one on his check. <laughs> but yes, it, it is going to... And they should have pretty good sales on the uh, Steam Deck. And it will have an impact, even if it's a small one, on the overall percentage of the number of devices with Arch Linux. Yeah. So Arch Linux share can go up right in this list. What do you think? Will it go all the way to the top, replacing Ubuntu LTS? Well, do they? Do you think though that it's the Steam Deck and all the interest that you know, all the spin and and news around that that's driving up people's interest in gaming on Linux? I think overall, though, you, you know, that's only going to get us halfway there because my kids upstairs play two or three games on Steam and then all the rest of them are on Xbox Game Pass. So getting Steam to work is one thing, but it's not. We can't say that gaming is good on Linux now. Okay, we can't, see, we can't say that we're all, all the way there until... There's a, a big difference between the fight on, you know, Linux and Windows on PC gaming and then the whole gaming on console versus gaming on PC. That's Well, no, I mean, they play it through the Xbox app on the PC. Uh, right, but that requires Windows and also requires you to have, uh, I, I think it requires you to actually have an Xbox. Well, you have to have an Xbox account. No, after Windows 8 or Windows 10, you can play Xbox games on PC, hmm. Windows. Once computer. once you own it, you can play it on any Windows machine, and that's huge. So it's still PC gaming then, but it's actual Xbox games. That's actually kind of cool. Yes. Yeah. And that's not even mentioning. Uh, sorry. And that's not even mentioning how there are like dozens of launchers. Yeah. That all and that each and every one of those have to support Linux natively, and if they if they don't, people just try to get them to work through Vine or Proton. The launchers and then launch the games through those. So it's yeah. The security um, launchers do make things difficult. Always have time to just go to goodoldgames.com and download something from twenty years ago and just play. <laughs> Simple times. There's some good games from twenty years ago. Yeah, me. I, I enjoy those. Oh, one of my favorite games is from twenty-two years ago. Which one? Rayman Two. Uh, it's a platform. I I grew up on platformers. I never was never really into shooters, so. Check out Arcanum. Arcanum of Steamworks and Magic. The original Ghost Recon is my favorite, which came out in 2002. Okay, moving on. Next up is our security update. New Ubuntu Linux kernel security updates fix nine vulnerabilities. Patch now. It's from 925 Linux. Canonical's Ubuntu kernel team published a new Linux kernel security update to address a number of security vulnerabilities. 
Canonical urges all Ubuntu users affected by these security vulnerabilities to update their installations to the new kernel versions available in the main software repositories as soon as possible. My question is, I'm, but I'm wondering whether this affects uh, PopOS because I know PopOS uh, has its own kernels maintained in their own repos. So do these uh, patches get downstream to there as well? But I guess it definitely applies to Mint, for example, or Zorin. Could be. I'm not sure about Mint and Zorin, but Pop could be. AMD Ryzen 6000 series mobile CPU to future Microsoft Pluton security chip. From Foronix, uh, back in 2020, Microsoft announced their Pluton security chip that would be coming to future AMD, Intel, and Qualcomm processors. Pluton security processor is designed to improve the system security under Windows, and now we find out that AMD's forthcoming Ryzen 6000 Rembrandt processor will be the first featuring this feature. Back to the Microsoft 2020 announcement, they talked up cloud security and all the benefits, albeit only for Windows PC with no mention of Linux. Of Pluton's functionality, Microsoft sums it up as Pluton design removes the potential for communication channel to be attacked by building security directly into the CPU, which means this could also be new TPM, which they're introducing. Windows PC using the Pluton architecture will first emulate a TPM that works with the existing TPM specifications, which will allow customers to immediately benefit from enhanced security for Windows features that rely on TPMs like BitLogger and SystemGuard. So this will be used to protect credentials, user identities, encryption key, and personal data. None of this can be removed from Pluton even if an attacker has installed malware or a complete physical position of the PC. And all that for Windows. Yes, and we also haven't seen any patches yet from Microsoft or AMD yet. So what I think this could mean is like Windows 11 running on TPM PCs, which don't, which are not supported yet. Well, what I think Microsoft is thinking: step one, get people to buy new hardware for Windows 11. Step two, make it harder to use anything else on the hardware. No, this, from what I understood, this will be used only in the enterprise laptops, the one which you're. Com- office gives you because there only they use BitLocker or system guard in most of the corporations that's what i think okay next up is our bi-weekly wanderings first up in our bi-weekly wanderings is me i got on the hpr new year show for several hours it was fun getting to talk to some other linux nerds um this year my kids did not get on but i did have some really good conversations while on the new year's show it should get posted in the next couple of months uh sectioned out for easy consumption i highly recommend listening to it there's some really fun technical stuff there um i was able to fix two skull candy hash threes the ones that my kids were wearing constantly had developed faults on the band all the way across. Um, I thought I was going to have to do a, like a full cross band replacement, but that was not the case. Uh, I pulled out my multimeter and tested continuity, and it turns out that all I needed to do was redo the solid ear joints on the far side of each headset. Quick, quick fix for each of them. And my guess is it's because of the um, replacement Y uh, headset hookups the they free spin so my kids were spinning them around and it probably just pulled the cable a little bit and disconnected the solder and just needed to redo it and they were good to go um my laptop started having problems after a kernel update and it got annoying to have to go back and pick up the old kernel every time to get the computer started 
So I decided to start fresh, nuke and pave. After a clean install, I was able to very quickly get the new drivers for NVIDIA installed and hybrid mode working just the way that I wanted. Much faster than the last time I did this a couple of years ago without all the hoop jumping that was needed back then. And yeah, super simple compared to what it was even three years ago. Um, now, the MSI keyboard control to handle the color of the backlight was very annoying to set up, and that has not received an update in a very long time. I did need to install NPM and Node.js and then get the actual command line interface program running. Um, and it is very annoying, but uh, the hardest part is actually getting it running at startup. So I don't have that red color backlight uh, and <clears throat> I'm still working on that. I don't remember how I fixed it last time. I'm going to have to dig into it more. I did try uh, cron and I tried rc.local and I tried the built-in startup programs and none of those has worked yet. So I will get back to that. Um, I still have my home drive from the previous setup that I need to remap to. But I'm not sure whether it's a good idea or not. I, I don't want any of my old configs to mess up my new install. Although I guess that would be easy enough to switch back as long as I can get to the command line. So I'll probably give that a try sometime this week. I watched a bunch of the CES coverage. Um, I'm less interested in the VR stuff than I used to be. Um, VR is great, I guess, if you're, you know single and don't have a bunch of other people in your house that you want to be able to, you know, talk to while doing other things. Or allocate space to. Or allocate space to, yeah. The laptop and uh, gaming laptop space seems very interesting with a bunch of 14-inch laptops that look very cool, including an Alienware 14-inch, like, slim laptop that looks awesome. But um, I don't know, Alienware and slim gaming laptop just don't seem to go together. Uh, the Dell XPS 13 Plus is another interesting looking device that I'll never be able to afford. And um, yes, it looks interesting, but it also has that Mac style function key setup, touch function key setup at the top. So I, I don't know about that one either. But um, still interesting. Seemed to be some push for electric vehicles, but considering the prices, I may have to stick with gas guzzlers for many years to come. I mean, basically everybody had an electric vehicle there. And yeah, it's kind of cool. But when you're talking your starting price for an electric vehicle truck is $100,000, I'm not paying that. Okay, um, I... I was able to pick up a squat rack for a very low price with a pull-up bar and safety catches, basically everything I wanted, almost. But um, it did need some work to get the pull pins working correctly, and I still have one left to fix. All I had to do was really take those pins apart and put the springs back into place correctly. I'm going to keep a close eye on them to see if the springs start coming off again. The pull pins are actually hard to get to source online because the company doesn't make them anymore. I ordered one that looks right. And in the meantime, I'm using a heavyweight bolt 
and it's just one of the safety catches, which would rarely get used. Uh, today, I also, well, no, yesterday, I added in a 3D printed part to hold that bolt correctly into place so it's not slipping back. That worked out pretty well. I, I would have preferred a power cage, but those are expensive. And I was able to get this and what I hope is the correct pin for $20 a piece. So $40 total as opposed to the cheapest power cage I can find is like 250 bucks. Hopefully my thrifting doesn't get me killed. Um, I have put 270 pounds on there with no issues. The highest I'll probably get it up to for now is probably going to be like 290 or 295. Um, I did bench 270 on there a couple of times yesterday, and that's really not as much as it sounds. But, uh, you know, I was streaming to, to the rest of the team at the time just to, you know, give it a test and see how well it worked. And I did some other 3D printing as well. Um, my chair here, I, I redid the cup holder, so now it's much more... Um, streamlined it's a little bit lower it's not interfering with the movement of the table and it is holding the the cup holder that i printed is holding my camera and i really like the newer setup it fits into the cup holder a lot better there's a lot um less tolerance there for it to move around and it really keeps my camera a lot steadier than the old one did and yeah that's really all i've been up to lately norbert what have you been doing? So it is the middle of the exam season, and uh, but to be fair, I'm not. I don't have that many exams this semester. I've already completed one, and I think there's only two left. But in the meantime, I watched uh, the Arcane series with a friend, the series that is based on the League of Legends game, and uh, I'm just going to say that it's probably one of the best things that came out from any studio last year. Throughout the past couple of decades, we've seen people's opinion and mentality towards animation go from animation is just for kids to animation is just for kids and some more adult sitcoms like The Simpsons to okay animation can be taken very seriously and I think this show is pretty much a combination of all of that because what's important to note about animation is that animation is not a genre animation is a medium so you can tell pretty much any story through animation. And one of the highlights for me in the Arcane series was how people's faces were animated. I'm not sure how much uh, face capturing was involved, but this show had probably the most detailed facial animations that I've ever seen in any animated movie or TV show. And altogether, the entire thing was very strong and very captivating. It was really good at setting a mood through either music or, or its design. It has a very unique art style, incorporating 3D with 2D where all of the environment and all of the people, the characters are 3D, but all the particle animations and fluid animations are 2D. And I'm not sure if they did that through some 3D rendering and shading it to look like 2D, or they actually did the fluid animation and the particles by hand, frame by frame. And the fact that I couldn't tell makes it very impressive, because CGI is the most impressive when you cannot tell whether it's CGI or not. Riot Games, the company behind League of Legends, was heavily involved, and while... I have never played League of Legends, and neither do I plan to play it after watching this. It was still very enjoyable, and it doesn't really require any background knowledge of the games whatsoever. Because as far as I'm aware, uh, there's a bunch of lore to the games, but most of that is the background stories of the characters. So 
the way I understand it, they are trying to establish a more coherent canon to that universe through this series. And I really didn't expect them to drop the F-bomb multiple times throughout this series. Overall, I think this first season of Arcane was a way stronger start to a series than, for example, the first season of Game of Thrones was. It's an animated series with not half-hour but full one-hour episodes, which is so rare, and I really appreciate this fact. It's a really high production, really well produced. I mean, I I could just go on praising it, but I could really recommend it to anyone. So what I'm hoping for in the future to see more stuff similar to this, because animation is, is an art form, it's a medium. And of course, sometimes it's best to do something in live action. But with something like this, that is trying to keep very close to the art style of the game, I think they did a great job with this. And uh, a quick update on my very slow recovery from COVID, which I had, I think, around almost three months now. But my sense of smell and taste still hasn't fully recovered. But now I'm at the point where I can say it's fairly good and I can finally drink the more expensive kinds of green tea that I like without being disappointed by not being able to uh, taste anything. It's pretty much the worst thing that COVID can can cause. There are a whole lot of people on Amazon that are giving really crappy reviews. Scented candles, yeah. Of uh, expensive Yankee candles, yes. They they just, this sun doesn't even smell like a candle burning. What's the matter with it? At the height of the virus of being sick, it was pretty much zero smell, zero tastes, nothing. It Everything was just blank. And it was very unsettling. It was... As a COVID patient myself, uh, in the past, I can totally agree with that. And your willpower is totally shattered. During that point of time, you see yourself at the boundaries of heaven, literally what I saw when I was under COVID, infected with COVID. Uh, I was just going to say, everybody I know that's come back from that has had way out there poignant things to say about their experience with it. It seems like it's an out-of-body experience. Linux-wise, I haven't really done much these past weeks because I realized there aren't any distros that I could try to, that I could potentially use a daily driver. It's mostly being restricted to distros that have the latest NVIDIA drivers, but I will talk more about that in the innards. But I did have a very brief encounter with Gen 2 back, back in December which I decided to try in hopes of gaining some more insight into how Linux works generally. I booted up the live system, only to find out it couldn't recognize my network card. I decided to go with the virtual machine, and I did give it 4 of my 6 threads and 8 of my 16 gigs of RAM. I was prepared for all the rendering, but didn't want to spend an entire day on it. The initial setup of Gen 2 was not much more complicated than Arch, and the wiki is really detailed and well-worded, and it goes into even basic stuff like uh, flashing an ISO and stuff. Then I got to the base system installation, which doesn't include the kernel, and started compiling. It took around two hours to compile, after which came the part where you get to know their portage package manager a little better, but it seems like the biggest strength of Gen 2 is being able to set a ton of different variables for portage, which gives you great control over what to include and not to include in the compiled binaries. And this is the part where it started to put me off, because as I said, the distro agnostic parts of the installation were not very different from Arch and Void or uh, something similar, and the Gen 2 specific ones center around choice over compilation, which I'm not specifically interested in, as I'm perfectly okay with using uh, pre-compiled packages and binary distros. So because of this, and updates taking so long to compile, I don't think I'm in the target audience for Gen 2, and if I'm looking for insight in how Linux-based systems generally work, maybe I should try doing a Linux from scratch installation sometime in the near future instead. Probably not in the near future, but I definitely do plan to try Linux from scratch. 
especially since I heard one of my friends mention that they actually did one. So I hope to gain some more insights from that. Just a heads up, Linux from scratch, you will have only a handbook. I know. I don't know, did it 200 pages or so? I will have to do some mental preparation. And that's it for me. So Moss, what have you been up to this past month, I should say? Well, I'm back, I think. Let's see if I can keep it up. I miss Mintcast, but 2020 was, to say the least, a difficult year. From when I was here last, I have a new T540 ThinkPad. I got my wife a T560. I bought a refurbished three Think Center Tiny M700. And then I swapped the Kudu 3 to my wife for the T560. She likes that one better. The whole house, except for the now-retired T430 and the Z800, is running i7s at least 6th generation. Well, the T540 is 4th generation, so that's wrong. Uh, George Dosher of Tech Plus Coffee also got me a Lenovo SmartTab M8. I paid him back, but he paid $29 at a Walmart in... uh, I forgot the town in Florida. Anyhow, I did pay him back, including postage. So except for the Kudu, we are all Lenovo here. I spent Thursday night upgrading all my active machines to Mint 20.3 Mate, and all three of my computers feature Bodhi 6. The T540P and the T560 also have Arco Linux Mate. My next job is to sell the T430, which may not be in top shape. Suzanne was having some problems with it and the HP Z800 workstation, and maybe the T540P. It will be hard to sell the Z800 other than locally, as it will cost a lot to ship. It's a heavy monster. So, Moss, how was your experience with Arco Linux? I'm really liking Arco Linux. You'll find out, uh, well, I guess before this episode comes out, we'll be doing another episode of Distro Hopper's Digest, which was my next thing. Um, And I will be reviewing Arco Linux for that show. Uh... It's very, very comfortable. It was easy to install. It's easy to run. Uh, they use PAMAC uh, for all the updating, and it's very nicely integrated and easy to use. And uh, they say that Arco Linux is designed uh, to start you out as a beginner and move you into being a full Arch user. But I haven't seen any prompting to move forward yet, and I really like the way it runs as a beginner. Uh, I don't think it explicitly prompts you it's just they have a they have sort of an upgrade plan i think it's rather like when you feel ready to upgrade you just do the next stage okay well distro hoppers digest continues we're averaging over 800 downloads per episode we'll be recording episode 29 this wednesday with tony and dale i'm still doing full circle weekly news which i took over from leo early last year Full Circle Weekly News has not missed a single week since I took over, and I'll be recording a new episode of Distro Hoppers on Wednesday. I said that already. Whoopee. Um, Full Circle Weekly News is fun because the guy who collects the news articles is in South Africa, and then he sends me the text file, and I edit it drastically to make sure it'll fit because I'm not allowed more than 10 minutes. And then when I record it, I have to make sure it's under 10 minutes with all the lead-ins and everything. And then I ship it to uh, Ronnie in Scotland, and he he uploads it and uh, sends it out. I did spend a bit of time on the New Year's Eve show on HPR, like Joe did. Had a bit of fun there. Well, that's about it for me. Well, let's get Bill going here. What's up? What's up with you, Bill? 
Oh, gee whiz. It's been a long week. Um, this week uh, has been a bit of a grind with the cold temperatures here in northern Indiana. On Monday, I loaded copper wire. Oh, I'm a truck driver by trade for anybody that doesn't know. Uh, my my week started here in Fort Wayne where I loaded a uh, load of copper. It's it's coiled um, rod that they make wire out of, and we take that to different wire mills around. And this place I went on Monday, delivered Tuesday morning, it was about halfway between Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Philadelphia. And then I reloaded uh, and. Philadelphia took that to a place about, I don't know, it was about 10 miles south of Dayton, Ohio. Delivered that, came back home, and then I did two back-to-back runs out to Pittsburgh and back. Uh, Meanwhile, I had ordered a new desktop computer. Uh, It got delivered on Tuesday. And... uh, it's a uh, HP Pavilion desktop PC with the AMD Ryzen 7 5700G. Uh, it got delivered on Tuesday, and I didn't get a chance to start setting it up until yesterday. And uh, I started it up, and it started... Somebody's editing my thing as I speak. That's That's lovely. Um, I started up with the included NVMe drive, and, uh, the thing that happens when you, when you start up a brand new computer that comes with Windows 11, and it asks you to sign in with your Microsoft ID, Windows, upon your behest, will share your email with uh, all of the vendors that have put their crapware on the system alongside Windows. Totally agree. They send emails. But uh, once you finish, I'll tell you a workaround to this. Yeah, I'm sure if I would have went into the the little privacy settings when I was first setting it up, I probably could have told it not to do that. But I was really just wanting to get it set up so that I could download the USB creation tool and then, uh, you know, make a, make a clean installer for Windows 11 because I was replacing that NVMe with a, uh, uh, with a Samsung 980 Pro 500 gig, which I did. And then I reinstalled Windows, as I said before. Nice, clean, even even a clean install of Windows, in my opinion, comes with a lot of crap that I'll never use, like Microsoft 365 and Skype and all that stuff. But uh, anyway, uh, in addition to that NVMe, I added a, I had a, I've got a 500 gig 950 uh, Evo Samsung SSD. I added that, and I formatted that to. Um, ButterFS, um, because that's a file system that both Windows and Linux can access. Windows, there's a uh, GitHub project out there, uh, ButterFS implementation for Windows, and it works really well. 
and you've got all the you've got all of the copy on write and uh, compression options working really well. It's interesting. I didn't I didn't know about that, but there is on Windows. It's interesting. Yeah, it's on Git. What's it's called? Gosh, Win ButterFS, I think. But it's uh, it it's it's out there, and it's uh, it's an MSI download, and it works really well. And I've got I've got it installed on two machines upstairs. I didn't want to. I wanted something that I could use between the two, you know, the Windows and the Linux. But I didn't want to use the NTFS because NTFS. I know it's getting better, but it's always going to have trouble with being able to assign different um, permissions to different directories within the same file system. That's not something Microsoft uh, properly supports. So, uh, and ButterFS, in my opinion, is just far better. Um, okay, so uh, after installing Windows 11, I shrunk the system partition, which is just basically the biggest. I think when you install any any copy of Windows, if you just do their their uh, default installation, it creates several partitions that do. God knows what, but I took the biggest one, the one, the system partition, and I shrunk that down to 11. Well, I shrunk it down to uh, allow 100 gigabytes to install Windows on, or Windows, Linux on, and installed uh, Linux Mint Cinnamon on that. Um, a couple of things about that for people that are interested in dual booting. A couple of things you want to do is uh, disable fast boot in the uh, in the power options for Windows, and that would be true for anything Windows 8 and above. And then uh, there is a registry setting you need to add to set Windows to use UTC instead of uh, local time, and that works fine. And there's a uh, there's instructions as well as you know the uh, you can copy and paste right from uh, the Arch Wiki. There's a page I link to here in the show notes, and it's working great. I've not had problems with either Linux or uh, Windows on here. Um, I chose Cinnamon. I'm not sure. I think see because I was I was using Mint back when uh, the whole drama started about the time Windows 8 came out and uh, Microsoft went to the Windows 8 Microsoft went to the the Metro interface and then Gnome thought that was such a great idea so they came out with Gnome 3 and you know that that was all great and everybody loved it and we all got along just fine with it right and so it caused, uh, you know, as far as the history of Mint goes, that caused a little bit of internal drama because they really didn't know what to do with that because a lot of their stuff that they've been running on top of GNOME 2 was just not going to work on GNOME 3. So they had to throw a lot of things together, and it didn't it didn't really work real well. Uh, Mint 12 was shaky, and they had to kind of come up with a, a few things, and they came up with a Cinnamon. I'm not sure if Mate is... It felt at the time like Mate came around and it was 
available almost immediately on Mint, but I didn't see you didn't see anybody else using it. I think you could get it for anything like Arch or whatever, but I don't remember anybody offering it as a flavor. But uh, no, there wasn't an Ubuntu flavor of mate at the time. I'm not sure if it was in the repositories or not. Yeah, Martin Wimpress had to do with that. Yeah. If Martin hadn't done it, Mate would still not be that good of a desktop. Uh, Martin has done so much for that. Oh, desktop. he has. Um, Moss, I was talking about Ubuntu Mate. Yeah, that didn't exist at the time. Well, Martin started working on it and then created the Mate flavor. Oh, okay. And then it became official after that. And then Martin became an official canonical employee after that. As far as I can remember, at, in those days, you only had the flagship Ubuntu. And then, and, and about that time, that's when Ubuntu switched over to Unity. And Unity was one of those things that everybody hated until, until it went away and GNOME 40 came out and everybody's like loving Unity all over again. That's putting in a plug for Ubuntu Unity. <laughs> in retrospect, Unity was quite good, I think. I, I agree with you. I really do. Especially for laptops when you have limited screen real estate. You know, I think it was efficient and I think it worked really well. I think people just are always going to have a problem when change is forced upon them. You know, when because you, you start up your computer one day and all of a sudden your entire desktop has changed and you didn't do that. And I think that's what jars some people's experience. Moss, I think you know the young developer of Ubuntu Unity. Yes, I do. He even sent me an individual Happy New Year's message. I was very pleased with that. Uh, if an 11-year-old can develop a Ubuntu flavor, you can too. Yes. <laughs> he was nine when he started doing Linux development. His first distro was Linux from scratch. <laughs> a nine-year-old kid doing Linux from scratch. Come on now. That's got to be beyond <laughs> For me, personal achievement is that he's from my country. Yep. He he lives in New Delhi. Oh, I should meet him then. <laughs> I also live in New Delhi. That is cool. Yeah, his mother has been supporting his habit, so to speak. Uh, but she's got to be really proud of him. He's got five distros he's managing now. Uh, but the main one is Ubuntu Unity. But anyway... Um... Sorry, uh... Sorry, Moss, did you say that uh, the guy who forked and created the Mate was the same guy who created Ubuntu Mate? No, the creation of the creation of Mate uh, was in uh, Brazil and Argentina. Oh, that explains the name. <laughs> but Martin Wimpress is the one who upgraded it and uh, and made it a special thing, much more than it was. It felt at the time like a. It almost felt like a Mint project when it first came out because all of a sudden here it showed up on Mint and I thought, oh my gosh, that's going to be crazy popular. If you listen to the Jupiter Broadcasting shows, you'll hear Martin shout, come on every now and again. He's oh, I do. Yeah. Show. So Martin Wimpress is the guy who left Canonical recently. He did leave recently. Yes. Yeah, he was the desktop team leader for. Well, what, first year? he worked on Ubuntu Mate, then he became a canonical employee, and, and Ubuntu Mate became uh, official. And then uh, Mark Johnson left as desktop manager, and they made Martin the guy, and that was a great move. No, it was uh, not Mark. It wasn't Mark. It was uh, the other um, the guy from Late Night Linux, the, the English one. Um, well, 
I thought Mark was English. I, I don't know. Bra- brain is getting old. Yeah. <laughs> at any rate, Martin Gay, uh, became the desktop manager, and he did that for at least two years before he moved on to another project outside of Canonical. And now back to Bill. Back to Bill. Back to live action. Um, okay, so I'm going to skip over the Nitrix part because it's really much to do about nothing at this point. I, I, I ha- okay, so I have looked at it some more. It's an interesting implementation of, of Plasma at this point with you can, you can log into the CASC interface. I don't know if it doesn't respond to clicks because it's expecting a tablet sort of input going on there or what but it just doesn't some of the clicks just doesn't work but uh, i would like to see more on that and i'll be interested as they keep developing it um anyway at moss's behest which is to say that i responded to some of his um passionate uh upholdings of uh bodhi by installing it and taking a good look at it and uh, I really like it. Okay, so Bodhi is, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Bodhi is based on Ubuntu 1804, or at least the, the version that I downloaded and installed. And it, it features the Moksha desktop, which is a fork of E17. Is that correct? And uh, I'm, I'm really digging the lightweight system. Um, I'm enjoying the amazing responsiveness. And one thing that always amazes me is how fast a distro can get a browser up and running. And even the light one. You literally can take some modules out if you don't use them and get down to 100 megabytes of memory usage. It's about 320 out of the box. and That's fantastic. But you click on Chromium. It, it was almost in- instantaneous how fast it it uh, starts Chromium up, and Firefox was not... I mean, I, I only spun it up once, and that took maybe two seconds, but I got to imagine that that's because it's got to, you know, it's got to create the config files in your in your home directory and then fire up the cache and all that stuff, too. So maybe, you know, opening it up in the future won't take as long. Um, one thing I appreciate also is the direction of the cursor i i I remember trying e17 some years back and their cursors were by default pointing towards the left and that was a little jarring um because reasons yeah people didn't like unity because the closing boxes were on the left instead of the right and that was the main problem (laughs) but see i i understood the reason behind that because that that fed into how well it used the real estate on the screen you know because you it would have been yeah it would have mangled things up to put them on the right when you maximized windows you know and and with with this thing on enlightenment that just felt like a something they were doing just to be different but uh, as i said i appreciate it i appreciate the moksha or at least by default upon installing the the cursor is facing the right way um as i said chromium spins up almost instantly and applications like lighter applications just file managers and text editors and things like that are absolutely instantaneous 
and that's on a virtual machine. You know, that was really impressive. And I and I feel I feel like it looks modern. Um, sometimes you lightweight distributions, lightweight desktops sacrifice a little bit of a modern look and feel to uh, give you some more of that speed and uh, reaction, you know, and it feels like um, Moksha is giving you a modern interface, but it gives you all the speed that you would expect out of a, uh, out of a lightweight distribution. Um, so overall, I believe my experience with Bodhi was a positive one. I wanted to point out to our listeners that Bill was apparently using, uh, Bodhi 5 or 5.1 because the current version, Bodhi 6, is based on Ubuntu 20.04. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I installed Mint on this machine and... Um, and I, I, and I remember as I was typing out the rest of my notes earlier today, I was, I was noting how enjoyable of an experience it was to use cinnamon on, on this particular machine. It's a nice, uh, sort of homecoming experience, I think, after a lot of years, uh, of, uh, being away from Mint just for the sake of having, uh, more control of my machine, coming back to something that's uh, just works out of the box is kind of a nice experience. It was a lot less to set up. So, um, anyway, that's enough of my rambling. Now on to you, Nishant. Um, nothing much in the past two weeks. Actually, um, only one I got on the Serenity OS uh, development team tried building Serenity OS. It's a good... A combination of Unix and Windows 95 style. It's basically a tribute to the 1990s uh, Linux, Unix, and um, 1990s GUI and uh, 2000s uh, Unix Linux. So it's basically what they did is they take idea from the community and they are building it block by block. Like, whatever idea they have, just implement it, and it will form the OS. That makes you think, did, when did Unix, proper Unix, go away? Or did it even go away at all? It didn't go away till about, I think, 2005 or 2006. I think they even use Unix right now in form of FreeBSD. There must be some companies somewhere in the world that still uses Unix. So I'm yet to find out what kernel are they using in Serenity OS, but it seems to be a custom Unix kernel based on some Unix from what I have learned. And uh, Ryzen 5 made, Ryzen 5 5th gen made quick work of the 4,500 modules, which it needed to compile of the source code. So it was like basically 10 minutes and the Serenity OS would be running in a QMU environment, Camu environment. And it truly feels like Windows 3.1 from the 1990s. Is this uh, similar to React OS as in trying to be binary compatible with something? No, no. It's independent project. Started by Andrea Killing, who left his job at Apple to focus fully on this project. Now looking at the screenshots, is it feels a lot like Windows 95. Yeah. So it's like tribute to the 1990s. A graphical user interface with a bit of 2000 Nix systems. If you go to their website at serenityos.org, 
and also i celebrated my birthday by traveling from delhi to kolkata 17 hours happy birthday oh it's belated now yeah birthday but thank you i've probably butchered this sentence but janmadin mubarak thank you that's correct okay so traveling from delhi to kolkata and then getting in a stuck in a lockdown not lockdown as per se but the restrictions around covid omicron variant due to the highest positivity rate in the second city which i am in right now and so making linux permanent as a daily driver is on my next two weeks target without changing to windows i'm looking at the serenity i remember now uh serenity they were talking to the developer of this on uh the ubuntu podcast a while back this is one guy had some time off from work came up with the entire os and including all the toolkits i i don't remember his name but they had him on the show and they were talking about this and the guy the guy came up with the entire toolkit that it's based on and everything like that because yes even a custom kernel bill yeah he he wrote all this so this guy's clearly a genius right yeah so basically what andrea says that uh, take whatever wishes you had of how a operating system should work and then put it into serenity os that's how we build it community contributions are important in this os how you would have imagined windows 3.1 to look at the, today in case you haven't used windows 3.1 yeah what is the primary goal for uh, serenity os uh, use case wise it's fun like make it fun to use with whatever the developers or the community has imagined it to be like imagination wise what you thought windows 3.1 should have been in 1990s uh, so it's a developers playground yes developers playground so it's more like getting a car to work on it rather than to drive it yes exactly it's a fun little os though i would totally attest it but right now they are working towards the bare metal of it so that you can install it it will take some time to be able to get iso out of it still under active development i would say it's fun to code for as well from the discord server which i have seen so far they are very welcoming to any new contributors so yes and uh, making linux permanent is on my next two weeks target if i don't install windows even one i would definitely call it a success in the next podcast Okay, moving on to announcements. Our next episode is at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on January 23rd, 2022. We have a link in the show notes to get that converted to your time zone. Our next live stream will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on, well, not January 23rd. It's going to be on uh, January 15th at 2 p.m. And you can also get that converted to your time zone. And on to the wrap up. And um, if you want to hear more of me, Joe, you can catch me on a couple of the other shows that I'm on. That's the Linux Link Tech Show, which is at tllts.org, or uh, the Linux Lugcast, which you can find linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe. You can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org. I really appreciate those emails. Um, um, Either they make it onto the show, or if you ask me not to, I will respond to them. Or you can buy me a coffee using the link in the show notes. 
And then Josh Hawk, who wasn't able to be on the show tonight, you can catch him at joshontech at mintcast.org, at joshontech on Twitter, and most other social sites. Or you can listen to him on Crowbar Colonel Panic. Norbert, how about you? You can send me an email at norbert at mintcast.org. Okay, and then the other, 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 other Josh, you can catch him at jt at mintcast.org. Josh Thacker on Discord and at Metal underscore Foss on Twitter. Nishant? Oh, uh, you can always email me at nishant at mintcast.org or contact me on Discord. And if you want to play games, or I'm always available on Steam. And the credentials are on these show notes. Moss? Oh, gotta wake up. Hang on. Um, you can reach me at bardmoss at pm.me. You can hear me on Distro Hopper's Digest and Full Circle Weekly News. Links in the show notes. And you can find more contact information for me on https colon slash slash itsmoss.com. And Bill. Yeah, uh, so you can email me at bill at mincast.org. I'm at wchauser3 on Twitter and uh, Bill underscore H on Discord. I'm on the Facebook too, but nobody uses that anymore, so whatever. Okay, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. That would be Norbert for our audio editing, Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, uh, Hobstar for our logo, uh, RD for the animated Discord logo, and Londoner for our time sync. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mincast.org and our backup Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. And Mike for being awesome. Uh, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clem. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Mint.